When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that flips through the pages of history to deliver old news in a new way. I'm Gabe Lusier, and today we're taking a closer look at the history of everyone's favorite gloomy grade schoolers, Charlie Brown and the rest of the Peanuts gang. The day was October 2nd, 1950. Charles Schulz's beloved Peanuts comic strip began its record-setting 50-year run. The debut strip consisted of four panels and showed Charlie Brown silently walking past Shermie and Patty, two other young children who rarely appeared in later strips. In the first three panels, as Charlie Brown walks by them, Shermie says, quote, Well, here comes old Charlie Brown. Good old Charlie Brown. Yes, sir. Good old Charlie Brown. But then, when Charlie Brown is out of sight, Shermie adds, How I hate him. That shockingly bitter punchline set the tone for the entire series, which often contrasted melancholy humor with cute, simplistic characters. Of course, the strip also had moments of incredible warmth and humor, and that unique mix of light and darkness is a big reason why Peanuts remains such an enduring part of pop culture more than 70 years later. Charles Monroe Scholes was born on November 26, 1922, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was the only child of his dad, Carl, a German immigrant and barber, and his mom, Dina, a waitress turned homemaker. He spent most of his childhood in the Twin Cities, except for a formative two-year stint in Needles, California, during the Great Depression. One long-standing debate among Peanuts fans is where the comic strip is meant to take place. Some fans think it's set near Santa Rosa, California, which is where Schulz lived once Peanuts became a hit. But that doesn't make much sense when you look at the strips set in winter. A more plausible theory is that it takes place in Schulz's own hometown. 
The upper Midwest is one of the few parts of the country that gets very hot in the summer and freezing cold in the winter, and the kids in Peanuts seem to experience the same seasonal fluctuations. For instance, many of the comics center on summer activities, like playing baseball, flying kites, and selling lemonade on hot days. But there was also a ton of strips that show a blanket of snow on the ground, and everyone's playing ice hockey. There's not much solid evidence in the strips themselves, but what little there is points to the story taking place in either Minneapolis or St. Paul. And that would actually be pretty on theme for Shoals, because many other elements of the Peanut strip are also autobiographical. For example, many of the characters' names were borrowed from people he actually knew. Shermie was the name of a childhood friend. Schroeder was a caddy at the golf course he worked at as a teenager. And Linus and Lucy Van Pelt got their last name from a man Shull served with in the army. Many of the characters' personalities were also drawn from real life. Lucy's domineering nature, for instance, was inspired by Schultz's troubled marriage to his first wife, Joyce. And even Linus's famous blue blanket came straight from Schultz's life. His young daughter had her own security blanket that she dragged along everywhere she went. As for the unnamed little red-haired girl that Charlie Brown had a crush on, she was based on Schultz's girlfriend in the late 1940s, a redhead named Donna Mae Johnson. The two of them worked together at a correspondence school in Minneapolis, and after a few years of dating, Scholes worked up the nerve to propose to her, only for Donna Mae to turn him down and marry someone else a few months later. And if you're getting some strong Charlie Brown vibes from that story, there's a good reason why, as both Charlie Brown and Snoopy are often considered stand-ins for Scholes himself. In fact, the artist's son, Craig Scholes, once said, quote, each of the characters represents a piece of our dad. Charlie Brown was his real self, while Snoopy was what he wanted to be. That said, both of those characters also had real-world counterparts apart from Shoals. Charlie Brown was the name of a friend he worked with prior to creating Peanuts, and Snoopy was based on his own childhood dog, an English pointer, not a beagle, named Spike, a name that Shoals later used for one of Snoopy's brothers. Still, it doesn't take much effort to see the parallels between Scholz's childhood and that of his chronically unlucky lead character. Like the time his local movie theater handed out candy bars to the first 100 kids to buy tickets. And in true Charlie Brown fashion, he turned out to be the 101st kid in line. Or when Scholz was in high school and his teacher convinced him to draw some comics for the senior yearbook. Much like Charlie Brown, the young artist was insecure and a bit socially awkward, but because he wanted to be a cartoonist so badly, he overcame his shyness and agreed to put himself out there. However, when the yearbook finally came out, his artwork had been left out by mistake, and not a single one of his cartoons was used. Despite that soul-crushing setback, Charles Schulz kept drawing and never gave up on his dream of becoming a cartoonist. After serving in the Army in World War II, he returned to Minnesota and found a job as an art instructor at a local institute. Around the same time, he began working on his own cartoon series called Lil Folks. It ran intermittently in his hometown newspaper, the St. Paul Pioneer Press, from 1947 to 1950. The strip was basically an early take on the Peanuts concept, focusing on the neighborhood exploits of a group of young, precocious children. 
It even had four different characters who were referred to as Charlie Brown at different points, though none of them bore much resemblance to the one we know today. In 1950, Scholes pitched his Lil' Folk strip to the United Features Syndicate in hopes of reaching a wider audience. He insisted the title should stay the same, and to be fair, it does seem like a fitting one when you consider just how many of his little kid characters seem to be plagued by grown-up anxieties and neuroses. But fitting or not, the syndicate refused to run the strip under its original title. It turned out there was already a comic strip called Little Folks, except the little in that title was spelled out instead of contracted. There was also the Lil Abner comic strip, and executives worried that readers might confuse the titles, or even worse, that the creators of the rival strips might sue them for copyright infringement. With that in mind, the production manager at the syndicate suggested they call the strip Peanuts, a common nickname for small children. Schulz ultimately agreed to the change, but he wasn't happy about it. In a 1987 interview, he tore the title to shreds, saying, quote, It's totally ridiculous, has no meaning, is simply confusing, and has no dignity and I think my humor has dignity. Once the strip took off, though, Scholz was more or less stuck with the title, though he always avoided using it himself. In fact, whenever someone asked him what he did for a living, he would avoid using the P-word by telling them, quote, I draw that comic strip with Snoopy in it, Charlie Brown and his dog. Of course, whatever you call it, there's no question that Scholz's comic became a runaway hit once the strip gained a little steam. It was published in just seven American newspapers when it debuted on October 2, 1950, but by the time of Scholl's retirement, 50 years later, the strip was carried by more than 2,600 papers in 75 different countries. It had also been translated into more than 20 languages and boasted a global readership of 355 million people. In total, 17,897 peanut strips were produced, and every one of them was written, inked, and lettered by Charles Scholz himself. It was such an unprecedented run for a newspaper comic strip that media scholar Robert Thompson once called it the longest story told by a single artist in human history. As I mentioned at the top of the show, one reason the strip clicked with people for as long as it did was the tricky balancing act it managed to pull off in terms of tone. Peanuts is funny and sometimes sweet, but there's always a kind of prickly world-weariness underlying the humor, and that constant push and pull was entirely by design. Scholz believed that happiness and humor don't always mix, which of course is why Charlie Brown never did get to kick that football. The artist also dealt with bouts of depression in his own life, and one way he found relief was by channeling his anxieties directly into his art. The result is a strip with a somewhat morose worldview, one where, as Scholz once explained, all the loves are unrequited, all the baseball games are lost, all the test scores are D-minuses, the great pumpkin never comes, and the football is always pulled away. Charles Scholz stuck to that formula for the strip's entire run, though things definitely got a bit cheerier in the mid to late 1960s once the TV special started and the merchandising kicked into high gear. But for all the fanciful touches in those later stories, such as kite-eating trees and canine fighter pilots, Peanuts remained, at its core, 
a strip about simple truths and vulnerable people. It shows us that life is made up of both small, hard-won triumphs and bitterly felt disappointments, and not always in equal measure either. But at the end of the day, the important thing isn't whether you kick the football or not, it's that you never stop trying to kick it. Charles Schulz understood that, and thanks to his work, the other Charlie Browns of the world, myself included, do too. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider keeping up with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can get in touch directly by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks as always to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. Notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.